awesome God. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to the book of the book of 2 Thessalonians. They're in chapter 1. Second Thessalonians chapter 1. When you got it, say so. And the word of the Lord says, Paul, Silvanus, and, and Timothy, to the church of the Thess Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for you, for your patience and faith in all your persecution and tribulation that you endure which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe. Because our testimony among you was believed, therefore we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you so much for your word that is truth. Thank you for your grace that is here, for your presence that is among us, for reminding us, God, that you are a faithful, faithful God. That we don't worship you because of our circumstances, but we worship you because you are seated above our circumstances. Lord, we thank you this morning, Lord, because we are able to rejoice in the wonder and the power and the majesty of who you are, God. And so today, Lord, we bow ourselves before your word that is truth, that is instructive and edifying to our lives. And we pray that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church. We pray that you would be glorified and that we would not just hear what you are saying, but that we would respond in faith, that we would obey it, that we would repent where we need to repent, that we would exercise faith where we need to exercise faith, that we would live out the truth that you call us to live. God, glorify yourself in our time together. We pray this in Jesus' good name. Everyone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, please raise your hand, and that way the ushers can get you one. And just hold, it, hold your hand up there while you wait for the ushers to bring you an outline. Um, 
And also, there's some pens back there. I know some of you may need a pen. Um, so if you need a pen, just let, let an usher know, and they'll hook you up as well. You don't have to return those pens. Those, um, those are very important for us. Amen. Um, so anyway, we want to make sure that everyone has an outline. The reason for this, why is it? Because every week we go through this, the same thing every week, and I want you to keep this in your heart. I don't want you to just like, you know, don't, don't, don't let me be the, you know, blah, 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 blah during this time. No, no, no. I want you to hear what I'm saying. I want you to think about who it is that you're discipling. I want you to think about you growing in your faith. I want you to think about what it is that God has called us as his people to do. He called us to make disciples. And so these outlines allow you to follow along with me. These, these out, in, in the beginning of the intro, these outlines have some good questions for you. And these outlines will enable you to be able to take someone under your wing and help them to grow in their faith. You know, a lot of times we don't know what to say when it comes to making disciples and so it is very important for us that we utilize the tools that we have in order to help people grow in their faith. And so I always ask this question, and I pray that you feel, if you don't have someone, someone in your life that you are, you know, helping them grow in their faith, I hope you feel a little, you know, pricked a little bit by this. But who is it in your life that you are helping grow in their faith? It's important for us to have that. And if you don't have someone in your life, then I challenge you today to begin to pray, begin to ask God for his wisdom so that way you can be that person who is helping someone else grow in their faith. Amen? All right. So everyone has their outlines, and I want you to, and we're going to go just jump right into this here. So it is the holiday season. Amen. Amen. Where did the year go? I'm just saying. We're, 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 about to, we're about to celebrate Thanksgiving, and we're going to be in a coma from Thanksgiving to Christmas, right, because of all the food that we're about to eat. And so you know it's going to run right, right by, and so we're going to be at the end of the year. But the one thing is not just the food coma that we're going to be in, but the reality is is that this is the busiest time of the year, is it not? I mean, it's just, I mean, it, there's, there, there's parties, there's, you know, family get-togethers, there's planning, there's shopping. I know someone said amen to that, right? There's, there, there's all kind of stuff that we get to do, you know, during this time that's not normal, you know, in, in our normal schedules. And so it's busy, busy time of the year. And so today, my, my, my message is entitled Rest Assured because we all need some rest, Amen. And so if you look at your outline here, outside of Jesus and the fact that every living soul will one day die, we have those two things in common. If you know Jesus, we have him in common. If you're breathing, one day you will stop breathing. Hello. Right? But there's another thing that I think that we have in common, and it is that unites us all is the fact that we are all busy, or we lie using that excuse to get us out of doing stuff we really don't want to do. Hello, somebody. Uh-huh. So either we really are busy, which I'm going to just give you the benefit of the doubt because I know nobody in here lies. Nobody ever says, I'm busy. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Glory. I know. I know. I know. But the reality is that we are all busy. We have schedules. We have things that are going on in our lives. And so we find ourselves busy running around doing stuff. And, and, and the truth is that we all need to have this type of rest. As I was thinking through this, through, through this sermon and I was meditating on this in, in the second paragraph here, with the advances in technology, our culture has become more demanding and potentially invasive on our time. If we are not careful, we will never truly disconnect from the world and rest, body, soul, and spirit the way God intended. Hello, somebody. It's, it's a reality that, that we live in a day, you know, where, where companies are gracious, you know, some companies, and they hook you up with a phone, but it's not because they're just being nice. 
It's because they want to be able to reach you at all times. Hello, somebody. They want to be able to make sure that you always got that email. They want to always be able to make sure that you receive that text message, you know, at whatever time, whatever day, no matter what you are doing. You know, I, I hear my wife, you know, she talks, uh, you know, about you know, people that she knows and the, you know, that work and how they're on vacation, but she's receiving emails from them. Hello. Glory. I try not to send anyone emails when I'm on vacation. Amen. I try, I try to make it a goal to just disconnect or unplug, but it's, it's not just the, you know, the, the work side of it, but you know, all of our phones have these things. I don't know about your phone. I know my phone. It has something called notifications. Hello, somebody. And you can either turn your notifications on or you can turn them off. But if they are on, your phone is blowing up throughout the day. If you commented on something on Facebook, um, the thing you commented on, somebody else commented. Somebody replied to that. You get those things on there. If you're playing a game, you know, I like to play chess with friends. Hello, somebody. And, and so, you know, as soon as my friend makes a move, you know, I'm sitting there. I can be looking down. I got to put everything on airplane mode because if not, I'm sitting down. If I'm reading something in the scriptures and this happens and I'm just going to confess my sin to you. And I'll be reading something really spiritual, really important, and I get a notification. And all of a sudden, I'm like, bloop, just lost my spirituality. Hello, somebody. I just decided that something, some other notification was more important than what I really need to be focused on, right? And so the truth is, it's potentially invasive because we can do something. It's called turn off your notifications. Hello. Right? You can turn them off, and that way it only notifies you when you open up the app or when you go to that particular place and you look at those emails. And so the reality is that we live in a time where things are busy. Third paragraph here, compounded with the busyness of our schedules is the increasing reality that Christians will suffer as a result of their relationship with their Savior. So what I want you to realize is the paragraph prior to, I said that we will not rest body, soul, and spirit. God wants us to rest. Amen. He wants us, you know, the, you know, when Jesus was being questioned about the Sabbath, he said that the Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath, right? Because God gave us this time of rest. So there should be for sure some time of rest in our lives. And if we don't disconnect, then we never really get to rest. But here's the thing that I want you to realize. God doesn't just want us to rest physically and to be nice and rested and feeling good physically. He wants us to rest in our inner man. Because when we are not rested in our inner man, when we go through the sufferings, trial, and tribulation, that is when we walk into the flesh. Are you here? See, we joke around often, you know, and I, and, and I may overuse it sometimes. You know, I'll be like, man, you're in the flesh, right? And, and sometimes, you know, people just say that just because you disagree with them. Man, you're in the flesh. Now, don't make you in the flesh. If that were the case, then Jesus was in the flesh when he told his um, disciple Peter, Satan, get behind me. Hello. But Jesus wasn't in the flesh. He was simply communicating a truth. And so we need to, you know, outside of the joking side of it, understand there is a reality where we, when we are not rested spiritually, when we're not rested, when we're not disconnecting and spending time in the presence of God, that we respond to things in a carnal way. I think I talked about this last week or the week before, and I talked about living in a prayer life and a constant flow of communion with God so that way I can be in a conversation and I don't have to tell you, hey, hold on a second, I need to go pray how I should answer you. Hello. But I should be walking in the spirit. I should be in the word of God. I should be treasuring the word of God as riches in my heart. So that way, what? The Bible says in Psalm 119.11, my favorite verse, right? The first verse that I learned, that, that thy word have I hidden in mine heart that I might not sin against you. Are you hearing that scripture? 
The word of God has the capacity and the ability when we hide it in our hearts. And the only way that we hide it in our hearts is through meditation upon it. It is by us being prayerful over it. It is by us considering how I will apply it. It's not just reading and forgive me if I offend you when I say this. Not really don't forgive me, but you should think about this. But the truth is, it's not just reading a little devotional that you get on your phone that has one scripture, one line of scripture, and tons of lines of man's ideas ideas. Can, can, can I tell you something? I think that we as Christians are anemic spiritually. We are lacking because we depend on daily devotionals instead of having daily devotional time with God. Instead of us being in the word of God, being in the scriptures, and therefore we are repeating man's words rather than God's words. And I need you to know something. Man's words are cool because obviously I'm just giving you, I'm giving you words right now. Man's words are okay, but only God's words are living. It is only God's words that can change us and transform us and enable us to walk in the spirit even in tough situations. In the Thessalonian church here, the reason why we're talking about suffering is because this is the second letter that the apostle Paul has written to them. And many, many, um, you know, theologians, they, they believe that this book was written maybe a few months after the first one. And what was happening was these people were being persecuted. They were suffering for their faith. And the apostle Paul promises them that they are going to have rest one day. But at the present time, they're going to have to go through suffering. And can I tell you something? Nothing has changed. The reality is, I mean, we're, we're not being killed in the United States of America for our faith. Nonetheless, for a long time now, I mean, we've been talked about bad. Like, if you don't agree with someone, you're a bigot, you're hateful. Are you not? Hello? This is not nothing new. This didn't just start two weeks ago. Hello, somebody. This is something that's been going on for a long time. As, as the culture shifts more to a liberal mindset, the church becomes ostracized. The church becomes not wanted in the culture. And you know what? God wants us to find our rest and our solace in him in the midst of all of that. But see, there's other places. And believe me when I tell you this, there is no question that there will be a time that in the United States of America, we will be losing our lives for our faith. Hello. There's coming a time before that that we're going to be in prison for simply communicating the word of God, for simply saying sin is sin, and we are going to be people that are going to be called um, what is called hate speech. Hello. This is a reality. It's going to come. Whether it comes now or in 10 years from now, it is going to happen because men love their sin. I posted it on Facebook the other day that, you know what, men desperately need Jesus, but they passionately love their sin. We need God in our lives. We need God in our nation. We don't want to let go of our sin. We don't want to let go of that thing that makes us feel so good, that thing that we enjoy so much. And so really, we need God, but we don't want him. Hello. There's a difference, you know. It's kind of like, you know, soda and water. Hello. You don't need soda. You like soda. But some of y'all ain't willing to let go of a soda for nothing. You do not want to drink water to save your life, and it will. Hello, somebody. The reality is you want to just hydrate yourself with this soda filled with sugar, filled with all kind of stuff that's no good for you. And the truth, and it's the same thing with people. You know, they want something that gives them a false satisfaction. <laughs> that's it. That's it. We love our sin. We love 
I want you to notice, look at the rest of this outline, the rest of this paragraph here. Jesus, or realize this, as, as Christians, we are going to suffer because of our relationship with our Savior. Are you getting that? If anyone lied to you and said that everything was just going to be peachy keen and you were just going to live life and there was going to be no problems, they lied to you. Hello? The truth is you have peace from God in the midst of the storm, but you don't, you don't, you don't evade the storm. You don't evade the hardship in life. And so you are going to suffer because of your Savior. The Bible says, we read, this, we, read, we read this scripture during communion all the time. He was a man of sorrows. This is what Jesus was. And he told his disciples, if they hated me, they will hate you. Listen, we need to be careful when the world loves us so much. We need to be careful when the world is celebrating us so much. And, and again, I want to I reiterate this because I've said this before. It doesn't mean you have to be a jerk. Hello. The world shouldn't hate you because you're nasty and foul. No, no, no. The world should hate you because it hates the message you preach. It hates the truth that you stand for because God's word stands opposed to the sins that we love. And so the reality is that we have to come to that place where we say, you know what, I understand that I'm going to be this person that is going to be persecuted. And look at this here. We will be a persecuted people, hated by the world, and will suffer for righteousness' sake. Our hope in all of our suffering for the kingdom and from life. There's two things I want you to realize. We suffer in two different levels in two different, for two different reasons. And one of them is because of the kingdom of God. We suffer persecution for the kingdom, for the message of grace, for the gospel of truth. We suffer for that. But the second thing that I want you to realize is that we suffer just because life is hard. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, you know, I used to, I, 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 you know, kids, they, they seem to feel like life is fair. I'm just saying, they seem to feel that way. I don't know. Because I remember growing up as a kid, I'd be like, well, mom, that's not fair. And my mom would be like, life is not fair. Isn't that true? I know in our days, you know, everybody gets, you know, a trophy. I know. <laughs> I know. I, I, I know. Everyone gets one for participation. But I want you to know something. There is a winner, and there is the first runner-up. Hello. And that is a loser. That is the first loser. I'm just saying. I know you don't want to hear that because in our culture, we can't have winners and losers. Pastor Aldo, he talked about it earlier. He played paintball yesterday. He won once. Every other time he was a loser. The bottom line is, you know, he participated. And all he got is, I'm sure, some bruises, glory to God. He's got some, some, some you know, some things that said he played, but he didn't win. Listen, for, for the guys in here, and brothers, I'm sorry. You know, we played a season of softball right now. We lost seven games straight. Listen, y'all, we came to every game, and we were like, we're going to win this one. And next season, the first game, we're going to win this one, glory to God. And, we're gonna, and every game, we're going to win this one. That's what, but you know what? We lost seven times. We got mercyed. We got whooped. Let me put it to you like that. And it is just a reality. There are people, there are winners and there are losers. I mean, that, 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 that's just how it is. But here's, here, here's what we need to have is we need to have hope. We have hope in the one who won. 
We have hope in the one who overcame. We have hope in him. That's what we have. We have hope in our Savior. And so the truth is that we're going to be hated. We're going to be persecuted. We are going to suffer for righteousness sake. And you know what? What we have to realize is that we're going to suffer because life is not fair. There are going to be things, man, that there is no, that there is, you know, I, 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 I don't like this thought, you know, why do good people suffer? Because that gives the idea that there is anyone that is really good. And the Bible says that there is no one that is good, right? I mean, that's what the scriptures say. But I will say this. There are some people who didn't do anything to earn the suffering they go through. Can we say it like that? I, I would say that. There, there, there are certain people that didn't do anything to have the sickness that they have. There are certain people that didn't do anything to experience certain situations that they experience in their lives. And the truth of the matter is that that is the way that life is. And you know what we have to do? We have to have our hope firmly in the one who promises, promises us rest one day. And so this is my big idea for the day here, and it is this. It is suffering is a means of sanctification to the Lord from sin. Suffering is a means of sanctification to the Lord from sin. And the reason why I wrote it like that is because what I want you to get is that suffering should bring you closer to your Savior, further from your sin. That's what should happen. Sanctification is not just about not sinning. But it's about coming deeper into an intimate relationship with a glorious Savior. You see, the, 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 the church of Thessalonica was a church that was suffering, but it was coming closer to their Savior. It's a means of sanctification. It's a means of helping us understand what we don't need. You know, they talked to persecuted Christians. You know, they, they were talking to pastors in, in, in areas that were, I mean, persecuted to death Christians, not just ridiculed, not just spoken evil of, but persecuted to death. And they said, you know, pastors were praying that the persecution would stop. And you know what these pastors said? They said, don't pray that. Wow. Don't pray the persecution stops. Pray that our faith won't fail. Because when persecution comes, listen, read your Bible. When hardship comes, you want to know what's going to happen? People are going to be like, yo, I'm not a Christian. He is. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was preaching that stuff. But you know what? That guy's the one over there. This is what it says. This is what the scriptures teach. The scriptures show us that there's going to be a time that family members are going to turn on each other. Why is this? Because when hardship comes, that's when the rubber meets the road. That's when we know, am I truly a devoted follower of Jesus or am I just one who was running my mouth talking about, yeah, I'll die for you, Lord. Uh-huh. <laughs> You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. Yeah. And thank God for his grace and his mercy because when we fail, he'll pick us up. But the reality is when these hardships come, they should draw us closer to the Lord and by default, Turning away from sin, turning away from sin to come closer to our Savior. So the first thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, suffering, suffering. helps us grow in Christ-likeness. Suffering helps us grow in Christ-likeness. I look at verses 1 through 5, and we'll read this together. It says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, fitting because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. 
So first of all, their faith is growing towards God. Their love is growing towards one another so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith. There's that word again. And all your persecution and tribulation that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Now notice. The Apostle Paul starts off with this thing, and I, and I use his words before, and I never really get into the definition of them, but I want you to understand, when I talk about two words, imperatives, and I talk about indicatives, right? So you've heard me say that before, and I say that when Paul writes in the beginning of his letters, he talks about the indicatives of the gospel, right? What the indications are is what the word would mean. But what I want you to understand what this word means, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down. When, when, when I say the word indicative, it is a word that is a reality, when the writer is using this word, he is saying this is something that is, not something that is probable, not something that could be, but something that is a reality in the life of the believer, right? That, that's what he's communicating. And so when he says in the beginning of this, he does his typical, it's, it's a prototypical um, you know, introduction to a letter from the Apostle Paul. And he talks about, he, he starts off with who's writing the letter, right? And so Paul, Silvanus, Timothy, so these were co-laborers together who were all part of the authoring of this letter. And he's writing to who? He's saying who he's writing to? To the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice... Now, 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 this is something that I think we need to pay attention to. You've heard this said before, I'm sure. But whenever something is repeated, you should pause and take notice. Especially in the word of God. When Jesus says, verily, verily, he's really trying to get your attention. Amen, amen is what he's saying. And so when the apostle Paul is communicating here, he is communicating of these, of these indicatives of our life, the reality of who we are. And he reminds us, see, here's what happens to us. When we read the Bible, it is so easy for us to be like, oh, yeah, that's a, that's a typical greeting. And we just kind of go through it. Like, it doesn't even matter. Can I tell you something? You need to understand there is no word written down in the Bible that is common or should be walked over like it doesn't mean anything. Every aspect of the scriptures has deep truth and deep revelation for our lives. And some things are for us to apply today. Other things are for us to understand how God or who God is. But the reality is when we look at this particular portion of scripture, what does he remind us of? Well, the first thing is he reminds us that we live in two realms. First of all, he is, he is writing to the, to the church of the Thessalonians. So he's reminding them of what? Where they have been planted by God in the mission field. He's reminding them that they are part of this culture. They are part of this community. But he says to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father. So not only are you in this natural world, but you are also in a supernatural world at the same time. And so while you are here, you're not only here. Hello. So he's communicating and reminding them that you are part of the family of God. And so one of them is temporal. The other one is eternal. In God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he repeats it again. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the second reminder that he gives us just in this brief introduction is he reminds us of the one that is the source of our life, the source of our significance, and the source of our identity. Are you hearing that? Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I love this. Because what he does is he walks us through, and you don't even see it if you're, not, if you're not looking at it, but he's walking us through what the gospel really means for Christians. 
Someone asked me a long time ago, why does the gospel matter? Every week I go through this, right? The gospel is everything, right? Y'all agree with that? The full implications of the gospel are everything. And so weekly we walk through the fact that we are all born into sin, that we are separated from God because of our sin of birth, but also because of our sin of decision, right? Because of our sins of commission and omission, because we omit to obey the things God says and we commit sins against God. So we realize that. And because of those sins, we are separated from God. And because many of us know that we're separated from God, what we try to do is we try to reconnect with God. And so you know what we typically do? We typically look for something good that we can do in order to make us feel good about ourselves, hoping that that good feeling we have makes God feel good too. And so what we try to do is we try to, you know, do good works. You know, we try to work for charities or give to this, give to church, come to church. We attend church. We feel good about that stuff. But all that I want you to realize is that the gospel teaches us that every one of our good works falls short. And so because we're separated from God, we are what? We are on our way to an eternity of separation from God. But the beauty of the gospel is what? It is that Jesus comes and dies in our place. Now, now stick with me here. Because what I want you to realize is that we talk about this weekly, but I want you to focus on after the cross. Because for us as Christians, you shouldn't feel condemned when you hear that we're born into sin. You shouldn't feel rattled because we all battle with sin. That, that's just a reality that we have. What you should be is you should be encouraged that what? We are no longer in our sins. That we are not just in Oviedo. Hello. No, no, it's Oviedo. It's Oviedo. I got, I, got, I got corrected by Minister Ricky. He'll tell y'all later on. It's Oviedo. I'm just saying. I'm just, anyway. <laughs> Oviedo, whatever. Listen. I'm good. I get corrected from Minister Ricky and I get corrected from Angel. Thank you. I appreciate that. Anyway. Oviedo, whatever. Here's the thing. We are not just in this city. We can't get names right today. Just, you know, whatever. We're just in the house of the Lord in this, in this city. In this city limits, right? Glory to God. So the beauty of it is, is that while we are here, right, we, we, are, we are not only in this place, but we are beloved by God. Because what Jesus does on the cross is the scripture says that God demonstrates, listen to this, he demonstrates his love for us, that while we were sinners, he died for us. And if we were reconciled to him while we were his enemies, he shows us what? He shows us this love. This is what the scriptures say. And so what happens is when Jesus dies on the cross, he offers us new life. He doesn't just offer us a ticket to heaven. Hello. He doesn't just offer us to go into eternity, but he comes and he says, your works are never going to make it to me. Your, your good deeds are never going to make it to me. You are dead in your sin, and so you need a substitute. So Jesus comes, dies in our place, so that way he can do what? So he can restore relationship that was broken years and years ago. He, he dies in our place so that way we could be called sons. So that way we can be called daughters. So that way no longer does he see us as sinners, but he sees us as saints. Are you here? This is the beauty of the gospel. And that's all just in the intro of a letter. Hello. This is the first two verses of a letter that it reminds us that we have been given this grace. And you know why this is important? Because our identity, our core identity must be rooted in our sonship. It must be rooted in the fact that we are children. 
It can't be rooted in where we fail. It can't be rooted in where we, where, where, where we excel. It has to be rooted in. See, the only place that we all get a trophy is before Jesus. Because he won, and so we get his merit. And that's a beautiful thing. And so the Paul, Paul the Apostle reminds us all that we are loved. But not only does he remind us of grace, he reminds us of peace. And he reminds us of what? The hope that we have in Christ because of the sacrifice that was made for us. He goes on in verses 3 through 5, and he talks about this abundance of, 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 of rejoicing, that they are bound to thank God always for them. And he said, and, and here's the thing, suffering for the kingdom of God is to be expected. Amen? It is something that should be expected. People are going to talk bad about you. People are going to not like the way you live. People are going to speak evil of your righteous living. Are you here? This is going to happen. Suffering that we see throughout the world. We, listen, our hearts should be moved. I mean, we hear about Christians being killed for their faith. We should be broken over that reality. It should not become a norm. It should not become something like, hey, well, it's, it's supposed to happen. No, no, no. If that's your heart, you have the wrong heart. But the truth of the matter is, is that we are going to suffer for the gospel's sake. And, and here, here, here's what I love. I love when he says here, look at verse 5. He says, which is the manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God. What is the manifest evidence that he's talking about? He's talking about the evidence that God is all wise and that he knows. And see, someone told you a lie. They said, God will never give you more than you can handle. That's a lie straight from the pit of hell. Hello. Don't quote that ever again on Facebook. Don't tweet that. Don't encourage someone with that. Tell them this, that there is no temptation that has come upon man that is not common to man. But God, is, he does what? He gives us a way of escape. Listen, if I can bear it, I don't need God. Did you get that? If I can handle the trial, I don't need God. God wants me to walk through trials in my life and hardship in my life that I have to say, if it wasn't for God. Are you here? I'm just saying, I know, that, I know that's uncomfortable, but it's the reality. The reality is, is that God's grace is sufficient in our time of weakness. God's grace is sufficient when we go through hardship, when we go through difficulty. And the manifest evidence of God's wisdom is that we persevere, that we persevere in faith, that we persevere in love. This is what he talks about. He's talking about them abounding in love for one another. Hello, somebody. That we're abounding in love, that we're growing in our faith towards God, that we are caring and that we are concerned about what God is doing in our lives and in the lives of others. See, just as the Thessalonians endured hardship with growing faith and abounding love, so must we. Are you here? The same way that they went through hardship, the same way that God was on the throne then, he's still on the throne now. The same God that walked with them is the same God that's walking with us. And so we've got to be willing to go through this trusting that God is good. And I'm going to ask you that question a little bit later on. It should be the goal of all believers to be counted worthy. And look, 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 look. When he, talk, when he talks about being counted worthy, look at verse 5, continuing on. He says, which is the manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Understand this. It is to be our goal to be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. This is not talking about merit. This is talking about fitness. Are you here? It's not talking about us earning the kingdom of God. It's not like, well, you know what? I, I went through a whole lot of hell, God, so I must be worthy of heaven. No. 
That's not what he's talking about. Believers should look different when they suffer. Are you here? Believers should continue walking in love when they're suffering. Believers should continue to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, not because they are able, but because it is the Spirit of God who is operating in and through them. And so our lives should be exuding a different kind of life. That's the real life that Jesus said, I came to give you life and life abundantly. That's the life he's talking about. I'm not talking about all the other stuff people try to attribute abundance to. The truth is that Jesus has called us into this life. And listen, it, it, it is a life that we are going to suffer in. But the beauty of this is, is that we can walk through this life and we can do what? We can, we, we can, we can grow in our fitness for the kingdom. So we look like kingdom people. Hello, somebody. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, suffering prepares us for future glory. Suffering prepares us for future glory. I want you to realize this before we move to that point. Our worth is only exposed, our worth, when we talk about our fitness. Our fitness for the kingdom is only exposed as we endure the trials of faith that God allows us to go through. Are you here? It is only in those moments. Because listen, everybody is good when everything is good. Hello. When everything is great, your marriage is amazing. Hello, somebody. But when things ain't great, hello. Hello. Different story. You know, when your wife brings you the lemonade, she makes you that lunch, glory to God. She's an amazing woman of God. When she forgets about you, hello, somebody. When she, when she comes home late because she was shopping, glory to God. I ain't talking about my wife. My wife didn't do that. Hello. You see... When those things occur, you know, when, when, when she doesn't agree with you, right, all of a sudden you're like, mm, I don't know, Lord, if she's the favor of the Lord. Hello. <laughs> Lord, I, I don't know about this woman, Lord. I, I don't know. This is the woman you gave me. She's an issue or whatever the case is. When your husband, you know, is holy and righteous and prayerful and godly, oh, man, he's an amazing man of God. But when he's got his face in his phone and he's ignoring everything that's going around the house, this is me. Hello, somebody. Suddenly, you got to pray for his deliverance, glory to God. See, the reality is, when, think, when, we're, when we're going through hardship, right, when we're going through difficulty in life, you know, when your boss is good, want to promote you, having good conversations, amen, they are amazing. When they are correcting you, when they're coming down on you, when they're talking about, yo, you got to tighten up or you're going to be out, hello. You know, everybody walks into that job that they get. Almost everyone walks into that job that I praise the Lord. I mean, they are, they are Facebook and PTLing all over the place. I mean, glory to God, I got a job, amen. And you, you talk to them a few months later, and all of a sudden, they, they ain't PTLing. Hello. They're like, God, was this the one that you had for me? When we go through the difficulties, right? I mean, so ultimately, that's when the glory of God is seen. And so suffering prepares us for future glory as well. Look at verses 6 through 10. He says, since it is a righteous thing with God. And I, I, want, you to, I, I want you to really listen to these verses as we read them. I want you to think about what's being communicated here. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who, are, who trouble you. And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. That's where we get rest assured from. He will give us rest. Future glory. There's coming a time that those who persecute the church, if they are unrepentant, this is their destiny. 
The reason why I pray for ISIS the way that I do, I always pray this way. This, this is always my prayer for them. I always pray that they would encounter God the same way Paul encountered God on his way to persecute Christians. Because I do not, if God does not rejoice in the death of the wicked, how can I? And so I always pray that they would have an encounter with God. And then the second part of my prayer is that they would receive justice in this earth for the, for the ills that they've done against humanity. That's the way that I pray for any terrorist group, for anyone who hurts people. That's the way that we should pray, especially, you know, for those who are coming against Christians. Why do I say especially those who are coming against Christians? Because understand this, we are the body of Christ. The reason why Paul calls himself the chief among sinners at the end of his life is because he is reminded, he is haunted by the reality that he was harming the church of God. You see, when you come against the Christian people of God, when you come against the body of Christ, you are coming against God himself. Understand this. And so the reason why vengeance comes so harshly is because they're being unrepentant towards the God that sent his son to die for them. Are you getting this? And so this is what he says. So he goes on, he says, and to give you this peace in, in verse 8, in verse 8, he says, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Listen, those are scary verses. I don't know about anybody else in here, but I don't rejoice knowing that those who persecute the church, this is their ultimate destiny. You see, we are prepared and suffering for future glory. Everything we go through in this life, whether it's because of the kingdom or whether it's because of life being unfair, the reality is that we are going to see a future glory and a future peace that is going to overwhelm our lives. That's a guarantee for us as believers. Amen. But here's the truth. There's two groups of people. Those who don't know God and those who disobey God. And so some people be believe that this is two different groups. So one of them is the group of people that reject the knowledge of God because the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, no one is with excuse because of the invisible attributes of God. So anyone who says there is no God, they're ignoring what God has written for everyone to understand and acknowledge. Are you here? But then there's the other group of people in there. They are the ones who do not obey the gospel. And what does that mean? It is those who try to live a righteousness apart from Jesus. It is those who refuse to put faith and trust in Christ. It is those who reject the only way to salvation. It is all of those people who don't know Jesus. So what does that mean for us? See, here's the thing. It is so easy for us to look at those who aren't living for Jesus and see them prospering in their sin and to become discouraged. Yet we must realize that as we suffer gracefully, we are promised rest. In the meantime, Jesus must become everything to us. Hello. You see, we look at those who are in their sin, they're prospering. You know, you see those people that are living unrighteously, and you're like, man, how, how is it these people, man, I'm, God, I'm, I'm tithing. Hello, somebody. I'm double tithing sometime, glory to God. I mean, I'm, I'm giving as much as I can give for the kingdom. I'm, I'm giving to my church. I'm giving to that ministry. I'm giving all over the world, and I'm getting fired. I'm getting this. You know, I got bills coming to place. I didn't even know they were at. I mean, you try to live, and you see this heathen over there, ain't thinking about God, ain't giving no money. They're getting the contracts you're bidding for. Hello, somebody. Yeah. 
It's easy to become discouraged. But you know what the truth is? The truth of the matter is, the reality is, is that these people are going to suffer if they do not turn from their sin. And so what does that mean for us? As we look forward to a day, as, as we look forward to a day of rest and glorification, the world looks forward to a day of recompense and judgment. Are you here? You see, while we look forward to this amazing day when the sky cracks open and we're called to glory with God, we look forward to this day when we are absent from the body and present with the Lord. The world is looking forward to a day that they are even unwise to. And you know what we have to do? We have to be that voice to call them to repentance, to call them to turn to Christ, to call them to take their faith out of their good works, out of their good job, out of their good situation, and to put their faith in the only one that is truly good. Amen. See, that is our call to be that voice so that way they're not going to the day of judgment, to be separated from God. Notice, this is not annihilation, y'all. This is not like you suffer for a little while and then you're gone. No, you suffer for eternity, separated from the presence of God's power and glory. See, it's by grace, it's, it's by his peace alone that we are able to endure hardship. And as we do, listen to me, Christ is glorified in us, and men will be drawn to him. Listen to me. Think about your suffering. I've heard, I've heard, so, I've heard so, you know, testimonies of people who have had cancer and who have gone into hospitals and led their doctors to Jesus. Because of what? Because they had faith no matter what was going on, their God was in control. Listen, it, it, it's terrible to, to, to consider the reality of losing a loved one to this. But listen, if through their death others come to Christ, does he not get glory? Is he not honored? Through the hardships in our life, through the difficulty that we will face. Because listen, I'm going to tell you something right now. You are either in a situation of suffering or you're about to enter into one. It's either or. And I'm sorry to be so, you know, sadly prophetic like that just encourage you that tomorrow you could start suffering terribly. But the reality is, it's coming. And when it comes, how will you suffer? Third thing, I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, suffering, suffering. glorifies Jesus now. Suffering glorifies Jesus now. And so we understand clearly that suffering does what? Helps us to grow in Christ-likeness. Suffering prepares us for future glory. And the third thing is, suffering glorifies Jesus now. Look at how the Apostle Paul ends this prayer. He says this. He says, when, he, I mean, he ends this, um, this chapter with a prayer in verse 11. And I love when, when the Apostle Paul prays prayers or, or, or recites prayers. Because if you don't know how to pray, all you have to do is look at how he prays. And then you can pray. And my encouragement is that when you come across the prayers in the New Testament, pray those prayers for your brothers and for your sisters and for yourself. He says, therefore, we also pray. What is he saying, therefore? Because you're suffering, because you're going through hardship, because you're going through difficulty, therefore, we pray. What does he pray? He says, therefore, we also pray always for you. Look at this, that our God would count you worthy of this calling. So the first thing that he prays is that the worth ascribed to us by grace would shine forth in our suffering. Do you get that? That we would be counted worthy of this calling. That we would be counted worthy. You know, Jesus suffered, and so it is a beautiful thing when we suffer with him for his glory and for his honor. I know none of us woke up this morning saying, God, I want to suffer today. But the reality is... When we suffer, we suffer with our Savior, and we reflect his grace to this world. 
And the next thing he prays, and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness. Did you hear that? Oh, this is good stuff. That God would fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness. There's an Old Testament passage where it says that God knows the plans that he has for you, right? A future, a hope, right? And so, you know, many people say, well, that doesn't apply to us. Okay, you're right. That scripture applies directly to Israel. But can I tell you what? An Israelite is praying for the Gentile church is that God would fulfill his good pleasure and his goodness. Say goodness. Everything God has for our lives is good, and none of it's evil. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Hello? It doesn't mean that, it, it doesn't mean that we're not going to go through hardship. It doesn't mean that. That wasn't what it meant for Israel either. What it means is that God's plans are good. He has a good pleasure toward us. And can I tell you something? He doesn't rejoice in your suffering. He rejoices being able to embrace you in your suffering. He rejoices being able to give you peace in the midst of the storm that you may be facing in your life. And he goes on. So pray another thing. He says, and that the work of faith with power, that the, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him. I love that. That Jesus would be glorified in us, but that we would be glorified in him. That we would be exalted in him. That is the prayer that the apostle prays. That God's power would be seen in us by the works of faith. That our faith would be evident. I love James. I think in the new year I'm going to preach you the book of James. But here's the thing. In the book of James, it is about what? It is about living your faith. It is about living what you say you believe. The, 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 the apostle James, he communicates and he says, you show me your faith, I'll show you my works. Because I can say all day long that I believe in God, but if my life doesn't say I believe in God, I don't believe in God. You see, God is most glorified. I love this quote by John Piper. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Is that not awesome? When we are most satisfied in him, he is most glorified in us. And the reality is that if we, if Jesus doesn't become everything, if the, if, if the intro of this, of this letter to us doesn't become God our Father, like God, you are my God. If he doesn't become everything, Jesus, you are my peace. If he doesn't become everything, we're not going to experience the satisfaction God wants us to, and he's not going to receive the glorification that he needs to receive in and through our lives. And so here is my closing question. Are you willing to trust God as good and all-wise in your suffering and hardship. So whatever you're going through right now, for those of you that are going through something, are you willing to trust him as good and all-wise? In other words, he's good and he also knows what he's doing. Hello. And when you walk into the suffering, when you walk into the hardship that you're going to walk into, for those of you that are living it, you know, right now, you're good to go. Hello. You're praying like, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. Listen, you can rebuke suffering all you want. You can rebuke hardship all you want. You will walk into it. That's just a reality. But I want you to know God is going to walk into it with you. He doesn't walk away from you when you walk into it. And so the question is, are you willing to trust him? Because here's the thing, and get this, there is no other way for true growth in faith and love and patience to happen apart from hardship, suffering, tribulation, and trial. There's no shortcut. You know, you've heard it before. Don't pray for patience because then you're asking for tribulation. I don't care whether you ask or not. It's coming. Patience is part of his character. Patience is part of his will for you. You can never pray it. You can say, God, I don't want to be patient. He says, I want you to be patient. Hello. There's no other way around it. It's just like this. Listen, you want to lose weight? 
You can say you want to lose weight all day long, but if you ain't counting your calories or you ain't figuring out what you're eating, you don't really want to lose weight. I'm just saying, and I talk to myself like that, so don't worry about it. You got to be disciplined. There's, there's, there, they, listen, they, they've been creating magic pills for a long time. Hello. Uh, I'm waiting on that Jetsons experience. You know, I just go into something and I'm all worked out. I'm good to go. I didn't burn 1,200 calories. I just went into like a machine or something like that. Hello. The truth of the matter is hard work is how it happens. It's the same thing in our faith. It's the same thing. In order for us to grow in our character, we have to go through this. And here's the thing. We must be willing to trust God through those moments or we will be found unworthy for his kingdom. That's scary stuff right there. I don't want to be found unworthy for his kingdom. I don't want to be a person that doesn't grow in love. I don't want to be a person who doesn't grow in faith. I don't want to be a person who doesn't persevere under trial and tribulation. The reality is, am I willing? Because if you are willing to trust him in your hardship as being good and all wise, he's going to walk you through that. Amen? So I'll stand to our feet. Let's bow our heads. Amen, amen, amen. going to ask you right where you're at, just humble your heart before the Lord. Father, you see our hearts. You see where we are. Father, you see those that are suffering right now. You see those that are being tried in their faith, those who are hurting right now, Daddy. You know them well. And I pray that right now you would flood their hearts with your peace. That they would know your love toward them. That they would know your peace toward them. I pray for those that are not suffering at this exact moment. Those who are not going through hardship in their lives. Where everything is okay right now, God. Father, may we be a voice of encouragement to those who are suffering. May we be a, a person of prayer for those who are going through. But Lord God, not just that, but Daddy, may we be prepared for the hardship that we will walk through, for the difficulty that we will face. I pray for us as your church here locally and gen in general globally in this nation. My God, I pray that we would be able to endure hardship and suffering with our eyes focused on you, with our hearts focused on you, with our worship toward you, Lord God, that this nation would see a church that loves their Savior, that in the midst of being um, ridiculed, in the midst of being hated, Lord God, because men love their sin, that we would be able to be a light that shines in the midst of a dark world. That we would be able to be those, Lord God, who love those, pray for those who spitefully use us, love those who harm us, that we would return good for evil, not evil for evil. Lord, some of us in this place, we need to forgive our persecutors. We need to forgive those who are causing hardship in our lives right now. And so, God, today, give us the grace to forgive, God. Give us the grace to let them go, my God. And, Father, there are some of us, we are the persecutors. God, give us repentant hearts. 
for taking the position of the enemy against our own brothers and sisters. Forgive us, God. Help us, Jesus, to suffer faithfully for your glory, for your honor. In Jesus' great name, amen, amen, amen. Come on, give God a hand of praise. He's worthy.